everyone. This is another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name is Arna. If you want to check out our website, it's a horrible one, chatterboxgameshow.com. More important than that is our Facebook page, facebook.com slash chatterboxvideogameradio. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's there. And our website has a link. Now, uh, we did last last episode of our show with, I mean, not much of a cliffhanger, but but we promised we would talk more about interesting things that you don't get to hear anywhere else. Like layoffs. Like specifically Studio. how R has been laid off a million times. Studio closures. Yeah. Before we go into this, I should point out, there's a negative connotation to layoff because you lose your job when that happens. But not but as negative as being fired. Yeah. It's not because you did something wrong. It's because the executive <laughs> did something wrong and they don't know how to plan or make money. Uh, or in the video game space, oftentimes they will just you know, buy people and then get rid of them because they only want them for one project or something. Yeah. It's very, very common. You know what? Like, before we really get going, um, now that you've said that, that makes me want to say a couple words about stuff like that because this is so endemic in the industry. And endemic means it happens all the time. Yeah. It's just a, like it's like standard operating procedure. Yeah. And I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this because, well... First of all, if I feel like if you want to have a career in the games business, you either have to a um, be really lucky, or b be really lucky, um, or c be very tenacious. Yep. And there's it kind of it kind of sucks because it's become really apparent to me that in like the past several years. There's just and, and I don't see anybody talking about this. There's just so many more people that want to make games than the economy appears to be able to support. And it's not like by a little bit, it's like by a huge margin. And I think that that is fundamentally why you hear about layoffs all the time, you hear about studio closures all the time, you hear about what you just settle on with uh, yeah, I mean, like, st- studios will hire people for a project and then fire them all at the end. Like, that's not uncommon either. Um, it's a problem. Games are so cool. I guess it's like music. Music it's, and movies and yeah, it's I mean, just, even fine art. Yeah, it's it's such a cool thing. So many people want to do it, but out of everybody who pays money for it, there's just not enough money being put into the economy to support all of this. And so it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just cutthroat that like, that's just, that's just all there is to it. Yeah. But the end result is some really funny slash interesting stories about how these layoffs take place. So which come, some- which come at great cost. So uh, I'm so glad that the stories are, well, I'll let you be the judge about how compelling they are. But yeah, um, yeah so I'm going to, um, so we're going to take off from where we left last and I'll do a brief recap and um, hopefully these stories will be awesome enough for you to think that uh, getting fired or laid off from them is worth it. <laughs> yeah. I win. So so where did we leave off last? Last time I was um, telling everybody about when I got... I think we told the Acclaim story. Yeah. left Laid off from Acclaim which was when they went bankrupt. Yeah. And if let let me try to 
recap so because I don't have the story in my own head, right? I can only remember what you said. So this okay. is what I remember hearing All right. last week. Uh, you go to work like you do normally, and then one day nobody can get in. So everybody's outside saying, why can't we get in? And you call the office manager, whoever it is you call, and producer, they're like, I don't know. Come back tomorrow. Some mistake. We'll have it fixed. And so, like, this happens three days in a row or something. Right. And then on the weekend of all times, the somebody else higher up finally explains to you guys, emergency meeting. Oh, by the way, you're all not employed anymore, basically. And he didn't even know until then. Right. And he was actually even, this was the studio manager, and he was speaking for himself, too. He was out of a job also. Okay. So here's what happened. Um the way a claim was structured at the time, it was a public company. Obviously, the stock had been in the dumps for a while. Now, we were working on this game called the Red Star at the time. And this was particularly uh, upsetting, the timing of all of this, because we had just finished this game, development on this game. And it was actually going through the, pro- the uh, approvals process. Yeah, you had finished it so much that it had actually been an official Xbox magazine as an Xbox demo. Oh, that's right. That's right. Here's the funny thing, right? This game, The Red Star, um, we developed it on Xbox, the original one. Yeah. I guess you can't call it one anymore. (laughs) It's just the original Xbox, yeah. And and we also developed it for PS2. Uh, for, For the few people who know what the game is... It was actually much, much worse on the PS2 because our primary platform was the Xbox. And on the PS2, like, the colors weren't as good. Uh, they were kind of washed out, blown out a little bit. The aspect ratio was actually wrong. It was actually stretched slightly, but you'd never know it if you didn't have the original reference. It didn't run as smoothly. And... Another thing that almost nobody knows about is that because the PS2 was slower than the Xbox, I actually had to make some concessions with some of the uh, bullet patterns in the game because they would just slow down on the PS2 like crazy. It just couldn't handle all the bullets on the screen? It, it couldn't. I mean, what we, we, had already, um, we had already tried to address it technically, and there was just too much stuff on the screen. And so what I ended up doing, uh, which was really unpleasant to do and I didn't want to, and I'm actually not even aware of any games that do this. Uh, it's not like it's a good thing, though. The bullet patterns on the PS2 are actually different mm-hmm. from the Xbox in the most extreme situations. And what I tried to do was like create a create the same kind of difficulty in those patterns that would slow the game down without using as many bullets. So they would actually be totally different patterns that I thought was about the same difficulty. Get it? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, you know, what's funny to me is when... Do, do you remember when we first got, the, like, the original PlayStation? Not even the PlayStation 2. Sure. And it comes with... I forget what they called it, like the ice disc or something. Some special disc that's just like some graphical demos that show you what this amazing new technology can do. Oh, right. How it can like wrap video around a sphere and how it can do like a million different things on the screen at once. And then you're telling me it couldn't handle a game that from my perception is just, ah, there's some bullets on the screen. No big deal. Like Commando on the NES had some bullets on the screen. Well, here's the funny thing, right? Uh, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought this up because... 
See, the thing is, like doing doing the same thing in every game is not does not come at the same technical cost because we were working through um, this suite of middleware that was proprietary. And so actually like the bullets in this game, because it was rendering on a 3D engine, are actually particles. Particles that were made up of actually multiple images layered on top of each other. And just uh, it was just you know what it was just the side effect of the way that the engine we were using how that was engineered um it was ported to the ps2 it wasn't actually written for the ps2 and so it was much less efficient so if it had been written where the bullets were just sprites well that would have been treated differently i mean on the face of it that would have been much faster but then like you get i mean there's other there's other considerations to deal with there logistically but yeah, it was just because you see one thing traveling across the screen, right? It doesn't mean that like every implementation of that thing moving across the screen is the same. I mean, I'm sure uh, here's an analogy. Like maybe maybe this will be easier to understand. You ever like okay, like in the mobile app world, right? You ever heard about or actually used an app like you're looking you're looking for an app to like fulfill some function. I don't know, maybe it's an alarm clock, maybe it's a little meter uh that shows your battery life or something, right? And sometimes like you'll go and you'll look at a few apps that do the same thing and you'll try them out. And usually you'll find one that's like it's like way slower than the other apps, but it does the same thing and you don't understand why. Right? And that's because implementations aren't all the same. Uh, some programmers are better than other programmers, and some situations are easier to deal with, and some implementations are more efficient and less efficient, right? So no matter what you're doing, there's always a way to do it really badly and slowly. And just for some reason, um, yeah, just our engine, when in, when these particles reported to the PS2, didn't do those too good. Mm. And the other thing, too, is that it's like a... It's like you're filling up a glass, right, with water when you're drawing stuff. So it's not just that we had, like, like it's not just that the engine was bad at drawing particles because this was actually a really contentious issue because the, we had this um, particle designer that was not accustomed to working in the game space and he was actually from the movie industry. And so he would make these bullets that actually, like, not only did they end up looking horrible as video game bullets – it wasn't his fault. He just didn't understand the context because he never had to work on a video game bullet, right? This guy actually, like, I think he, like, worked on, like, The Matrix and stuff. But the, this is actually a problem for video games because when you're working on something that high profile, right, processor load is not something that you have to worry about. You yes. know, you have unlimited resource. And when you're not accustomed to working in a space with really severe technical constraints, you don't know how to work well. So he would make like this particle that uh, for video game purposes looked horrible um, in terms of like contrast and readability and so on. Um, To him it looked beautiful, but also it was like 13 particles on top of one to make one bullet, right? Which means that... uh, like okay, well, I could have that on the screen, or uh, with this for the same cost, I could have thirteen single image bullets on the screen. Yeah, no, I hadn't. I had never really considered that. Um, I guess an expert in one space is not necessarily not an expert in another. Not at all, and that was that was kind of difficult to work through because it's very difficult to explain to somebody who is so successful in one space 
how they are not doing the right thing in another context. Well, out of the break, we will get back to original story, the layoff story. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Sponsored by the University of Advancing Technology, whose website is uat.edu, where you can learn, by the way, to develop particles and bullets and things for either movies or games or both, if that's your thing. Yeah, so I'm not going to belabor that point any further. Um, the one thing that surprised me from a user point of view, the reason yeah. I brought this up with the whole like bullet thing, yeah, yeah. is that user point of view, we don't know all this stuff. All I know is Sony tells me this thing's amazing and can do so much, and then you play a game and it runs like crap when it's like... I mean, technologically, this looks like a simple game. What's, yeah. Why can't it handle a few bullets on the screen, right? Because yeah. I saw something with a million on the screen. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna, I am going to belabor the point slightly further. Um, something that's really important for me to convey right now about all this stuff is that, like, it's like you're filling up a glass, right, when you're putting assets into a game. And, you know, okay, so we put in the background and we put this effect in the background, right, and that fills up the glass a little more. And we add these enemies and that fills up the glass even more. Maybe we have cloud effects or some other effects. And so if the game didn't have all the stuff that the game did, maybe the particles would run totally fine, really fast. But the thing is, is that, like, what this is what happens a lot when you get to the end of development or approach the end, is that it is... It's unclear what your capacity is, but you start approaching that capacity when you get to the end because things start slowing down. And so it's you have to like really consider the sum of every single thing the game is doing to understand like well what's it's very it's a very complicated and subtle kind of uh trade-off and prioritization you have to do because and it's really difficult because you know programmers are putting things in the game right independently of like artists putting things in the game for example and then designers want to do something too and so you have all these different people putting stuff in the game and basically like you're filling up this glass and everything runs fine until the glass starts getting full and then everything starts slowing down and then there's the question of well okay uh we can uh maybe maybe the skull there's a skull on the screen that's part of the background that uh it's like only like an inch on the screen but it's made out of 10,000 polygons because an artist went crazy and maybe that's what's causing it to slow down or maybe it's the particles that are using 13 images per <laughs> particle for each bullet uh maybe that's slowing it down or maybe it's this uh you know field of uh, view effect that 
the or depth of field effect that the game is doing, right? So any one of those things, right, if you took it out, then the glass wouldn't be full anymore and everything would run fast, right? So a really contentious thing that happens in development a lot is like, well, what is the thing that you take out to make the game run smooth? And because that can come from any discipline, that's always an interesting problem. Anyway, okay, so that's that. Okay, so we were talking about a claim. You're working on the Red Star. So where we left it was uh, we found out that the – here's the funny thing. Okay, I got to tell you something about the way a claim was structured. So they were a public company. They had a home office in New York, okay? The studio I worked for was in Austin, which used to be Iguana Entertainment, and Acclaim bought it. And so that became Acclaim Austin. Acclaim also had, like, another office in, say, like Salt Lake City, I think. Uh, and, and I think they even had a couple of other offices. What they did was they decided to go bankrupt and they did not tell anybody, including their own offices. So nobody knew. I wonder if at the top someone – like if that's just because no one thought to say, hey, we should tell everyone or someone specifically said, let's just keep this quiet and make it happen. They don't care. So this is going to be hearsay. But um, – No one's around to sue you at this point. It's still interesting hearsay. Yeah, and they're long gone. So – there was – it was always rumored that the family that owned a claim or at least was running a claim, I guess because it's public now, that originally owned it and run, ran it, the, the fish box. It was I'm like – I'm sorry, the fish box? Yeah, that's – Oh, that's the plural of fish box? Yeah. And the name was – okay. Fish the fish box family. Right. Um, I thought that was a new video game system. It was – I mean there was always rumors about how they were basically like – I mean there were so, – like a claim was basically some kind of like slush fund for them. And so they never really cared about what happened to it. And there was a rumor that they had like some immense like party uh, to celebrate, you know, the uh, the bankruptcy, the closure of the studio. <laughs> and there was – I mean there was like all kinds of incredibly – expensive and luxurious furniture and like paintings and like desks and all this stuff that were like at the at the main office that uh were part of well what happened was when they went since they went bankrupt they had to like auction all this stuff so there's like all this ridiculously luxurious things that they had to auction away that we found out about later and, yeah, we heard about some story about how they were, like, partying on some boat to celebrate their bankruptcy while we were all, like, crying, basically, having, you know, not, like, losing your job is one thing, but we had, I mean, we had, like, poured our, like, hearts and souls into this game, and it had been, like you said, we published a demo for it. It had actually been approved. There's, like, a month process at the end of the project to approve your game for the various consoles it had been approved for xbox and had never approved come out. by by the license by microsoft like, like microsoft has to say okay we're gonna allow this yeah um i mean that's a big deal and that's a really important hurdle to overcome and a necessary step and um so it was like release was imminent but because they went bankrupt so abruptly uh, basically, we were left in the lurch and we were fully – I mean we had no expectation that anything would become of the Red Star. Now, fast forward many years, it actually ended up coming out four years after that. This was like 2004 and some other company had bought the rights to it because they did a liquidation of their assets during the bankruptcy 
They had all these auctions. They auctioned off. I got a bunch of cool equipment, actually, out of the auctions. Um, and they also auctioned off all their IP and stuff. And somebody bought the Red Star. And um, thankfully, it was really awesome that it came out. Unfortunately, it only came out on PS2. It never came out on the Xbox. So your only way to play Xbox, the Red Star, which is the superior version is there was a demo for um, the official Xbox magazine way back when, and you could play that. Yep. Did, it, did it ever end up on the Internet, like pirated or something, some copy of it somewhere? That's a really good question. I have no idea. Um, no, knowing the piracy, how rampant it was on the Xbox, I wouldn't be surprised if it made it out there. I wouldn't be either, but also... I've never looked. I've ne- well, one, I've never looked, and two, um, if it did, then I would probably know who it was. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Because, I mean, there were a limited number of people who had access to that data. Yeah. Anyway, so let's see. What happened after that? Here was the crazy thing is that because they didn't pay their rent and the way they went bankrupt, um, so I was left unpaid for about three weeks of work. Okay. On top of that, we couldn't – since they didn't pay their rent – we couldn't get back into our offices, and it had take. It so was, did you have like personal effects in there? Oh yeah, there was. Not only were there personal effects in there, but there were also uh, personal pets in there. What? Like fish? Like uh, reptiles? Yes. Locked in a building? Yes. People had pets in there. People had food in there, which subsequently just was left to rot. Um, yeah, I mean, if I, I had, had a pet in there. I would break in. I had. Well, you can't. Well, I don't know. Go, I mean, try to break in, but it's a pretty solid corporate office. It's not like some kind of shanty shack. Come on, everywhere there's just a window, and you can break in and get the. There's uh, a window, and I guess you could. Um, but we weren't permitted to go in, and we had like all our personal stuff was in there. I had actually about, I mean, several hundred dollars of personal equipment. I had some of my consoles in there because I didn't. I mean, you didn't know. You went home one morning. Right, and let you know, you leave some of your stuff at the office because you do that all the time. Uh, you know, I, I bring my own consoles and games in because uh, I need to like look at them for reference and stuff like that. And uh, and then the next day, uh, you just can't come in, and so there's no warning. So uh, yeah, we were so that was really horrendous, right? It actually took about three months before. All of this legal chicanery worked itself out to allow us into the building so that we could just collect our personal things. And, yeah, food was rotting. Stuff was left in the fridge. Animals were dying. Um, the deadly animals thing, like you could call the Humane Society or PETA or something and get them to – I suppose like, you could. It's a shame that that happened. Yeah. I mean I didn't have any pets in there, so that wasn't of much consequence to me. But, um, yeah, I did – I was able to – enjoy a little bit of uh indirect retribution because i had i had stashed in my cubicle in one of my drawers there was about um i had a bag of like 50 of these little highly caffeinated chocolates called turbo truffles never heard of them and they were like uh, i don't even know if they still sell them but i bought them on the internet this was, i was like this is my emergency stash for caffeine for when i'm working late these things are powerful let me tell you it's like you know those like mini size like snickers like it's about like an inch square 
Yeah. They're like about little, that big. The stuff that goes in a candy dish. Yeah. They're about that big, each of them, and they're about 250 milligrams of caffeine. I don't know what that means, but I'll take your word for it. That's a lot of caffeine in a very small space. The first time I had taken one, like I was like literally shaking within a short amount of time. So I know this, but a random a-hole who walks by uh, for some reason and is snooping around in people's stuff and discovers this bag of candies does not know this unless they're really careful and they read the label, which they won't. So what did I find when I finally came in? I found in my trash can, which also hadn't been, of course, taken out. I found about 20 wrappers. (laughs) (laughs) Someone had gone in there and went to town on my chocolates, and I can guarantee you... They were feeling it in a very unpleasant way afterward. That's hilarious. Yeah. And hilarious. And they deserve it. We've been we've been talking about your experience with acclaim, but that is just one of many. Yeah, well, it's not over yet. There's still more acclaim. Oh, really? Well, yeah, because remember, I had three mo- three weeks of pay that hadn't been paid to me. Oh, yes, yes. Well, so go on. So I had to actually. Uh, I filed a claim. I had to file a claim, right? A claim against a claim. A claim against the claim. Yes. Okay. And apparently they did something else really, really bad that corporations are not allowed to do. There's this thing called the Warren Act. Not Warren. 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 Yes. Okay. And the Warren Act says – this is about like uh, employee, like labor law. It says that if you are going to fire more than 50 people at a single office, it might even be 20. It's some number. You have to actually – you have to give everybody a month's notice. You have to. You can't not to do that. Which means they get paid for a month after their notice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They did not do this. So it was, it was funny because there's a, there's a lot of complicated things that happen. But basically it was actually kind of cool the way it went down because uh, I submitted a claim personally – um, without the aid of a lawyer or anything, to the uh, to the bankruptcy trustee for all of the you know for all my vacation time and for all of my uh, well the hours that I had also worked and not gotten paid for, and then separately uh, you know because uh, lawyers are really good at smelling money, um, there was some law firm that basically uh, swooped in and on our behalf uh, made a Warren Act claim. So 
even though this whole thing was incredibly upsetting, and actually I was on unemployment for uh, many, many months after this as a result, which is great, by the way, and one should have no shame in taking that because you pay for that. Yeah. You You put money in. Why not put money in? You put money in, so you should get it out when you collect for unemployment. Um, so the cool thing that ended up happening was that I got I got about like fifteen hundred bucks out of the Warren Act claim, and then like separately, it was funny because I had like claimed about three four thousand dollars, um, actually more than that, a little more than that, separately of uh, wages that I was owed, and it was funny because there was some kind of like they were challenging my claim in some way. Right, but the funny thing was that it had the the bankruptcy. This, these these bankruptcies last for years, by the way, and it did last for years. And so it was a long time before I got my money back. But I eventually got my money, and it was funny because initially, there I, I got a I got some kind of notice back in response saying that like I didn't have like adequate like proof to my claim, and there were some weird things going on because as you know, as a former employee, I was what's known as a creditor of the bankruptcy. Which means uh, they owe me money. Yep. And they owe a lot of people money in a bankruptcy. Right. And when you're a creditor, if, especially if you're like a priority creditor, like I was because I was an ex-employee, you get a lot of documents from the court. And there was I, – I even – I wish I was privy to more than I was because there was like – I just felt like I was like looking through a keyhole into some kind of mysterious world of intrigue because at some point – uh, there was there was a judge that was the judge that was presiding over this case basically quit because there was like some kind of crazy shenanigans going on and there was a statement at some point in in, in the court paperwork about all the case where basically the judge was like there's like so much of this there's like so much of this going on like I'm not gonna like I'm out of here. Like so it wasn't because he had a personal out. connection to it. He was just like, "This is such bollocks. I've got to get out." Like there was some kind of crazy manipulation happening. Yeah, like somebody was trying to manipulate something. Um, so that was interesting. I never really figured out what that was about precisely, other than there was something significant and dramatic enough that the, caused the judge to just personally just decide to quit, and some other judge was reassigned. Uh, and we went through like three or four judges over the course of a few years for this case. The other thing that was really interesting was that the the result of the liquidation, and this was actually in one of the documents I got, and the verbiage they used was that like they had a um, like they had amassed so much money in the liquidation that even though like for example my claim, like I said, right, like they had problems with my claim, they just gave me all my money that I asked for because they were actually worth so much. They got way more money in the liquidation than they ever thought. It was like some huge sum, yeah, and so. The other thing that was really interesting was that as a part of this uh, bankruptcy liquidation, uh, I got to receive court documents that basically had a list of every single creditor and how much they were claiming. And it was really interesting because like Sega, like Sega was claiming like millions and tens of millions of dollars. And there were some claims that were just obviously outlandish, like seriously, tens of millions. Um because you can claim anything you want, right? It's up to the, the judge and the trustee to figure out how much you're actually getting. Um, and it was really interesting because there was like a bunch of like professional wrestlers on there, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Terry Bollea, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan. He was a creditor. 
Um, there was like, what was this other guy? Walt, Walter. Uh, so that's Kowal- Kowalski, something like that, right? He was like the killer Kowalski. He was some kind of famous, uh, famous yeah. wrestler. And like he like entered some like documents into the thing. And I, I just like I communicated with the court by like looking at those documents and like just copying their format. <laughs> and just said because I didn't like I didn't want to pay a lawyer for anything, so it was yeah. kind of cool, you know, because I was like slightly communicating with the bankruptcy trustee in the court, but not really knowing what I'm doing. But it worked anyway, so that was really cool. That's good. That's uh, that is like you said, it's like a little keyhole into what's what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame that apparently a claim was run so poorly. There were a couple of things they did, like back in the days of the Super Nintendo, that weren't uh, that weren't bad, like Mortal Kombat Two. Yeah, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was just, it was just a big mess. Yeah. Chicanery. Yeah. Okay. But that was that was a claim, and I finally, I mean, I ended up getting, uh, you know, all my money that I wanted from them. So. Uh, Ultimately, um, and apparently, a story about caffeine. Not so, yeah, not so bad. Pretty good, pretty good end result. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happens next? Uh, where did you go after a claim? So it was funny because um, yeah, I'm not going to get into the whole process of me finding a job again, but basically, I ended up at Rainbow after that, and um, that's what caused me to move here to Arizona. Yep. That's what caused me, by the way, to go to UAT. A claim? No, not a claim. Rainbow. <laughs> so I think I've told you this story where I, I moved out to Phoenix for reasons unrelated to video games, right? I just followed a girl, yeah. and she happened to be living in the apartment complex that was directly outside Rainbow Studios. Oh, yes. Right? And for some reason, like, um, maybe it was her. I don't know. She was like, oh, there's video games around here. Like, you should go take a look. And I look on the map or Google Maps or whatever was available 10 years ago. Yeah. And I was like, Rainbow Studios, that's next door. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just got up and walked over and I started like looking through the windows and I could see the PCs and the screensavers and some of the stuff on, like what games were being worked on to some extent or had been. I don't know what was really going on in there, but, you know, motocross stuff. And I was like, oh, video game studio. I should totally go to video game school. There's one nearby. Maybe I get a job at Rainbow. It's right next door. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I ended up going to UAT. Um, and then subsequently not doing anything in video games, but uh, that's that's what got me going to the school, basically. Yeah, Rainbow was actually originally, uh, once again, an independent studio, and they got purchased by THQ. Yeah, many years after I discovered them. Yeah, and so they had, I think, been fairly, I think it was maybe a couple of years that THQ had already owned them by the time I was hired on. And so the crazy thing about THQ, and now I can talk about this because THQ is also bankrupt. Also had its access, assets liquidated in, in an auction. It's really, it followed exactly the same format, it seems. Um, not exactly, but mostly. So this was really interesting because I've actually been laid off from THQ three times. That's what I love best about this story. Because it's clear that they do not know how to run themselves. And they're like, let's let's go of him. Now let's hire him as a contractor. Now let's pick him up again. Let go of him. Well, now I'll bring him back. Yeah. Well, as, as thrilling as that sounds, uh, it actually kind of makes sense because the, the people who were laying me off weren't the same people who were re- rehiring me because the people at the studio actually really liked me. And I don't know how they chose who to lay off. 
Um, there was actually, I mean, there were like, there was one round that I survived and then later there were some rounds that I didn't survive. Um, but it's like the corporation decides to lay you off, but then the people decide to bring you back. Right. And the crazy thing is that it was actually as, as her, as horrific as it was. I mean, like you go through this enough times and now I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like it's, I think after the third or fourth time total, after the third time total, like it's like, okay. It doesn't really bother you anymore. This is just sort of the process you go through. Yeah. So it's it's kind of nice that I don't feel like um, basically like trapped or beholden to – like I highly recommend it. I highly recommend everybody get laid off three times because <laughs> it makes you into a better person I think. Um, just a good five, six, seven years of your life. Yeah. But it, the way it worked out was actually really – really good because and, and this was not uh this was not planned this was just a lot of this was luck too i would get laid off i'd get a severance right and get some stuff for getting laid off um the people in the studio still liked me and i did good work so they there was like a rule sometimes that they like for about six months they couldn't rehire me but then like i'd come on as a contractor right and i'd contract for them and then I'd come on again full time. And every time I got rehired, I negotiated a slightly higher salary. Did you also get equity every time you got rehired? Um, there were like, uh, yeah, I think a couple times. I mean, it was less and less every time. And of course, the stock was going down. So it was less and less meaningful anyway. But if it hadn't been an interesting way to continue getting more equity in a company is to just get yourself laid off so you can yeah. come back and get more. But I remember like one of the, at least one of the times that I got rehired, I got some additional stock options. But it was so, I mean... The, since when I started, the stock went up, and then my four total four year tenure there basically just went steadily down after that. Yeah, did I ever tell you the story about how my dad, I don't know, maybe in the early nineties or something, got an official letter? I I got to tell the story. It only take thirty seconds, but I'll tell it when we get when we get back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back. You're listening to Layoff Stories on Chatterbox Video Game Radio. 
Okay, so here's the story I was going to tell. Very, very quick about the craziness of options. My dad has worked at a lot of electronics companies because he's a you know programmer guy, and uh, he worked at a place called Wang. I don't know Wang, not Wang Digital, Wang Corporation. Doesn't matter. Wang. It's called Wang. If you're in Boston or Boston area, you knew what it was. And uh, like a lot of other companies, it went under and just didn't exist. Except secretly, a lot of companies that that go bankrupt still exist on the stock market at some ridiculously small level of a penny stock or something. Right. For, for some reason, there must be some value in having it exist to somebody. So years later, after my dad has not worked for that company anymore for probably more than a decade, he gets a letter because he has to get a letter because he has stock options and the company still exists. He's uh, obligated to, to be sent this letter that says, hey, would you like to exercise your options at $30 a share? And it's literally a penny stock. And and he's like, hmm, I wonder if I should buy one share for $30 just so I can get the certificate put on the wall, like this one share of Wang for $30. Bucks. Um, <clears throat> and that's funny to me because maybe one day I'll be put in the position of getting sh- uh, stock options and and that will just be, well, that's just the craziness of the stock exchange. Yeah. So needless to say, I did have options, but they were actually useless because the the – they were the, more than the cost of the actual Yeah, shares. the price was way below the strike price, so it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. Um, so let's see what happened. It was – so the interesting thing about THQ is that every time that I got laid off from them, and the last time was when they went bankrupt, it was different. And the first time was actually – it was quite traumatic because – here's the problem when you're having to do a, a, a mass layoff is that – Well, right, there's that Warren Act thing. That's a problem. It's a problem for the company because if you're telling somebody that they're not going to have a job in 30 days... Then they might not work very hard for you for they those might 30 not, days. Right, or at all, or whatever, right? Especially if you're in the middle of producing something. So my first layoff there, here's what they did, and... I don't know. I'll let you decide if it's cool or uncool. So in order to protect itself, what the corporation likes to do is that when there's a bunch of people getting laid off is they do it without warning and they do it suddenly. Um, And I can understand that from their perspective. At the same time, uh, this is really upsetting for an individual. And it's, it's really unfair in a lot of ways. But what they did was basically just one morning you walk in and everything's fine. But about in about an hour after the day starts, you get this email and you say, okay, there's this meeting in this room. And people start talking and people find out because this is like a 15-minute notice. It's like, oh, okay, well, there's more than one meeting happening actually. So what meeting do you get to go in? <laughs> right? So people talk. So we find out that, okay, well, it looks like everybody's going into a meeting. But half the people are going into this meeting in this room over here. And the other half of the people are going to this meeting in this other room over here. And, well, as you may be able to guess, what they did was the people who got all laid off were going into the you're, you got laid off meeting. Yep. And the people who didn't get laid off got into the we're laying off everybody else meeting. I'm laughing because this is funny to me. I don't know that it's funny, but it's funny to me. I mean, it was funny at the, <laughs> after the fact, but it was I was it just it just completely blew me away because I was so um, 
I was just so naive about it at that time, even though it was it was not my first layoff. You know, I go into this, I go into the room, and I remember one of my coworkers next to me is like, "I didn't expect to see you here," and I'm like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> so, had you shipped a game at that point? Um, we were actually. So, what happened was we were actually working on a project that had never been announced, and it was a really, really huge budget project, and it was a really high profile thing. And well, except for the fact that it wasn't announced. And they had just spent so much money on this thing and it was not progressing, I guess, to their satisfaction. And so they were basically like, okay, we're just killing the project. And since we're killing the project, we have too many employees that we don't have a use for. And so that's what we're doing. And, you know, part of it, I don't know, part of it was kind of like political too. And I don't want to get into all that right now, but, um, Needless to say that I was really, really unexpectedly laid off then. And that was, that was really lame. Um, and that was without having shipped a product from the day you were hired until the day you were let off? Like, um, let me see. No, no. Th- I'd already been there a few years. So that was after like Cars 2 even, for example. Okay. You know, so that was uh, – so, you know, I had some products under my belt. So that was fine. Um, so that was, in my opinion, a bad way to do a layoff. The second one was a good way to do but, a layoff. But did they give you your 30-day thing? Like they, hired, they fired somebody? No, people? because I think actually what happened then, because the corporations are very aware, well, some of them are, <laughs> of these thresholds. So I think what they did was they laid off just enough people under the threshold that they didn't have to do any type of Warren Act thing. And see. then just laid off a bunch more a month later or something? Um, well, I, I don't know how that went down exactly, but it was it was needless to say it was under the threshold. Okay. Now – Two years later, I was uh, – <laughs> at that point, I was senior designer and uh, I was working on another project that we were coming to near the end and they wanted to do another layoff. And it was actually – this was actually done uh, much, much better. And I have to actually even give like my executive producer credit there because he actually fought to get us some stuff that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And this, was con- this layoff was conducted a lot more pleasantly. Because here's what they did. And I think this may have been part of the fact that maybe they had to do a much bigger layoff. And so they had to give notification anyway. But that's what they did. They told us, look, uh, we're coming to an end of a project, um, which we were. They wanted to publish this game. They wanted to finish it. But also they didn't have anything after that. So they wanted to basically fire everybody uh, who was working on this project because there was no continuation after that. Um, so what they did was they were like, okay, look, and this is incredible. I'm actually surprised how cool this was. They were like, okay, I think some people, they just laid off outright. So that was bad. But the people that they decided were critical to the project, they were very, very pleasant to, and I was one of them. And they were like, look, uh, we've got like 30 days, 60 more days, whatever. Right. Um, after this, you will be laid off. You can choose to quit now if you like, but you will give up any severance if you choose to quit now. That's fair. Yeah, sure. Um, you, you, you always have the option to quit a company, so that's no well, surprise. Well, true, true. Um, but they gave us a little incentive, a little more incentive to stay on, right? See, so look, if you stay on and finish this project to the end, then um, I don't remember all the details. We, we got a couple – we got a little more remuneration, which is really nice. 
Um, we actually – this sounds insipid in one way, but it was actually pretty cool. Um, so this is what our, our executive producer negotiated for us. They were like, look – because they would have all this extra equipment left over that they didn't need. So like, look, if you do the end, part of their consolation prize is you get to take your computer equipment home as personal. You get to acquire that as your own personal equipment. Which was, cool. which was cool. I got a free computer out of it, a really high-powered quad-core computer out of it, really awesome Dell. Um, you know, I got I got a monitor out of it. Um, so that was pretty nice. Again, and also all the software on it, I got you, – you get all that too. So I got like another like fully like equipped for game development. Ironically, all the software license that may have actually not been legal to transfer to you personally, but no, 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 not, not those. Like – just the ones that were legal to transfer. Okay, okay. So, so like the proprietary software and so on and some of that stuff you didn't get. But um, – so that was really cool. They had orchestrated that in a very, very pleasant way, as pleasant as a layoff could be. Although, yeah, you still had the weird friction of like you knew that like some people were like – like everyone had a date. They had like a couple different dates, yeah. you know. And so like depending on how valuable they were to the project. And so that was really – You were like milk of, on the shelf. Yeah, because, you know, you, I mean you'd be working with these people and everyone would know knew, knew their expiration date, you know. Um, so this was actually on this was actually on the project that was called Dude's Big Adventure. So we finished the I, game. I thought that's the one you were talking about. Yeah, we finished that game. It actually came out. So that was cool. Um, but layoff at the end. Um, but so so that was it though they said you can leave but if you stay we'll just give you some computer equipment or was it also extra salary and whatever well it was also you don't give up your severance normal which, severance which can be quite big especially if you've been there for a while okay um so people and the other thing that's really nice though is that they, they i mean they they offered some job placement and search services also and the other thing that's really cool is that once – I mean if you know that your job is ending in a month, then you can spend that month to try and find a new job. So that's cool. As cool as a layoff can be. Yeah. No, under the circumstances, it sounds like they handled that relatively well. Yeah. And then so the last time was when we went bankrupt and I was actually um, – at that point – so see, see, with every layoff, so now I'm lead designer. <laughs> so now I'm lead designer on this project, uh, which we're also like just barely finishing, just like the Red Star. Um, and I, I don't want to talk about this project in particular yet because um, – but we did finish it and it was done and it was approved for release. Yeah, this is basically exactly the same situation. It's a project that you loved working on and yeah. in the end it got taken away from you at the last minute and it may or may not ever happen. Yeah, it's exactly that situation. And and that was really that was really hurtful too because um once again it was something that I and my team had poured our spirit into and a lot of effort into and we we were very proud of it and we thought that we had done something novel and new and interesting and worth it. And um I have no idea what's going to happen to that now. Maybe nothing. Maybe something. But that was what it gave us some notice. But it was like at that point, like it wasn't like the acclaim bankruptcy. Like people knew that it was going to happen. And um, yeah, I mean that was I guess pretty conventional. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. If you go to, what is it, glassdoor.com? Is yeah. that the website? Yeah. Go to Glassdoor and look at THQ, and it might not be listed anymore because it's not a company anymore, but right. your CEO had the lowest ranking of any CEO I could find for any company, period. I'm, I'm not surprised. Like it was actually... Approval rating. It was actually... Um, yeah, so the... I guess it goes without saying, but the management, uh, nobody really liked upper management. And there was a very adversarial – I think the main reason why THQ failed was because – I mean there were other things. There's there's these rumors like they, they spent like $40 million just to close down a studio. And I don't even know if that's necessarily true. But they just spent incredible, insane amounts of money and they were not making any money. And – from my perspective as an employee, the the reason why THQ was a failure was because there was this really, really fundamental distrust between upper management and the studios themselves. And there's this book. It's called The Four or the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I didn't read the whole thing. I just skipped to the end and read what the dysfunctions were. <laughs> but it, it was really – it was really c- compelling because those all those listed dysfunctions it's basically this pattern of um really really um what's the word not dangerous I have this, no idea where you're going it's with this. It's this pattern of behavior that uh self-destructive destructive yes that's the word okay um that is all born from management not trusting the people under them. Once management inherently distrusts, uh, even if it's other man- management under them, uh, all these horrible side effects cascade from that, and you just end up with a culture where people don't feel empowered or uh, like having the authority to make their own decisions. And th- it was very much like that. And so we were... The problem is, is that just once you have an adversarial relationship like that, if management doesn't trust the people who are doing the work, you cannot have a good product and you cannot have good work and you cannot – you can't do anything productive. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, that certainly makes sense. Yeah. So management really needs to trust the people that they hire. And if they don't trust them, then they should have other people. But if that trust isn't yeah, there – you probably you just shouldn't hire them. Yes. <laughs> you have to have that trust. There has to be a trust there in order for anything to happen. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't there for whatever reason. Life lesson, folks. And uh, on that note, I'm going to end the show. We uh, we are going to actually have shows while I am out of the country because we're preparing for that inevitability. So uh, shows throughout June. Don't have to worry about next week and the week after. And, uh, and of course, we'll be here in July as well. So thank you for listening. Website's chatterboxgameshow.com, facebook.com slash chatterboxvideogameradio. We'll be back next week. Good night, guys. Listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.